Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Good Tech Fest podcast. My name is Andrew Means, the founder of Good Tech Fest, a global community of data scientists, technologists, program officers, product folks, philanthropists, and more, all seeking to use data and technology efficiently and effectively for social impact. I'm really excited you could join me today. I'm going to be sitting down shortly with Kevin Bromer of the Balmer Group to talk about how we can fund uh, and scale technology in the social impact space. But before I do, let me just turn it over for a word from our sponsor. This season of the Good Tech Fest podcast is sponsored by Okta. More than 13,000 organizations around the world trust Okta to secure the connections between people and technology. For example, many listeners know that Teach for America is a nonprofit working to ensure that all children in the United States have access to excellent education. But what you probably don't know is that a few years ago, they began moving their entire tech infrastructure to the cloud. After almost 30 years in operation, TFA's community included more than 60,000 staff, core members, and alumni who needed secure, reliable, and remote access to a huge variety of applications. Teach for America decided to implement Okta's workforce identity products, including single sign-on, adaptive multi-factor authentication, lifecycle management, and universal directory. The result is that TFA's community can continue to grow seamlessly and securely. Whether you work for one of the world's most recognized brands or for a small but mighty nonprofit, Okta helps anyone to safely use any technology. Learn more at Okta.com. That's O-K-T-A Kevin, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, it's great to be here, Andrew. Really appreciate, uh, really appreciate the opportunity to chat. Yeah, so why don't we just begin, you just sharing a little bit of your story. What are you up to now? How have you ended up where you are? And just share with folks a little bit, yeah, so we can get a context for who you are. Sure, yeah, absolutely. So um, currently I'm the Executive Director of Technology and Data Strategy at the Balmer Group. So uh, that's the philanthropic arm of Steve and, uh, and Connie Balmer's work. Um, and I've been with this organization for about a little more than 18 months now. So I actually joined the Balmer Group in March of 2020, which most people will remember as uh, that very first moment where uh, we realized as a country, oh no, COVID is going to be a thing. And so it was impeccable timing on my part, of course, um, but, uh, but it's been a wonderful organization to work with. And prior to this, um, I spent about 10 years with a small little company called Salesforce.org uh, that many of you may be familiar with. Uh, which was uh, just a, a real rocket ship of an experience. You know, I think when I started there in, in 09, I was something like employee 26 in the .org sort of side of the business. And by the time I left uh, at the tail end of uh, 2019, the very beginning of 2020, um, I think we were, we were like 1,200 people, something like that. So it was really, really quite the journey, not to mention what was happening in Salesforce.com as a, as a company, of course. Uh, and uh, really had this wonderful opportunity to explore both the role of technology uh, in the nonprofit sector as well as in the education sector uh, through a very different lens than what I had done previously. Um, early in my career, I spent time as a database consultant uh, with the Empower Network up in the Pacific Northwest, an organization called Empower Seattle, uh, where we were really doing direct service consulting, um, originally actually on Microsoft Access for the most part, uh, but then later uh, adopted this sort of new platform called Salesforce that I have to be honest, I was pretty skeptical of circa 2006, 2007. Uh, and like many, uh, many times, as, uh, as my lovely wife will tell you, uh, I was proven wrong. Um, 
And then prior to that, uh, in the early part of my career, I spent some time at the National Center of Education Statistics, uh, really working on um, some of the core education data sets that we have at a, at a federal level. Uh, I would say I'm, I know just enough statistics to be dangerous and not enough to be incredibly helpful at much of anything. So, uh, so I've sort of had the opportunity to um, look at the role of technology and data in particular in both the the nonprofit, the education, and then now increasingly kind of in the, the role of philanthropy in that context, uh, sort of throughout my career. So it's been a been a really fun run, been a really fun run. I think you have a really unique perspective. And one of the reasons I wanted to talk today was with that kind of perspective of being, you know, in the philanthropic world and, and kind of within the sales and, and, and product development world um, over at Salesforce around this idea of technology in the nonprofit sector. So, so I'd love for you to kind of just reflect for a moment as you think about what's changed over your career working with social sector organizations uh, in and around technology, what have been some of the, the changes? What are some of the themes that you've seen develop over the last you know, 10 or 15 years? Yeah, absolutely. I think there's a there's a couple of really interesting sort of macro themes that, that I've noticed and, and I've been a, a part of. Uh, first and foremost, uh, an increasing recognition of the criticality of the role of technology in, in the not-for-profit sector and the social impact sector, uh, just generally speaking. And I think when we rewind the clock back to that mid-2000s timeframe, you know, a lot of what Empower was doing was uh, server maintenance. Uh, you know, it was really about how do we keep that email server going? How do we keep that web server, which is sitting under somebody's desk somewhere, sort of up and running? Maybe we're doing a little bit of remote administrative work, but the idea that you would have sort of an integrated uh, digital strategy, uh, it's not that it, it didn't exist. It's just that it was few and far between. Um, and I think what you've really seen shift over the course of the last 10 to 15 years is uh, an expectation uh, and a recognition of the value that technology adoption can bring to organizations um, and the mission that they're trying to deliver on, whether that is a, a human services mission, uh, whether that's an awareness building mission or, or something in between sort of that, uh, the, the role has really been better codified and defined. Um, I think funders have also increasingly recognized their role, not just in expanding access to technology, uh, but also recognizing that, you know, so many times the technology challenges that arise, the technology problems uh, that arise with some of these projects uh, are oftentimes not technology problems, they're, they're people problems. And that's not to say that anybody's doing anything wrong or that people are, 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 are the issue per se, uh, but that the capacity building, that the sort of systems change types of work that needs to happen to make a technology project successful are just as poor to what uh, philanthropists need to be funding as buying software licenses, which I think for a lot of foundations are always ready and willing to do, and then would balk at the sort of the training piece, right? Um, but you're you're seeing this increasing awareness of kind of the, the recognition to approach this problem holistically, the need to approach this problem, uh, I think, holistically uh, across that. I think the other, probably the other big theme is, is obviously the rise of some of the major software vendors uh, kind of moving into this space in significant ways. You know, back in 2004, 2005, uh, Microsoft was a, a generous donor of licenses of, you, know, you can get Microsoft Word and you could get access to Microsoft Access, right, uh, and other types of tools. 
Um, you know, there were BlackBot, of course, was kind of the continues continues to be sort of the big incumbent in the space in a lot of ways. But in many ways, they were they were the unchallenged player. There were, there were other mid tier software providers out there, the Donor Perfects, those types of companies that were out there and doing good work. But um, you know, over the last ten to fifteen years, you've really seen the rise of uh, you know venture backed, publicly traded, privately held companies moving into the space and really bringing value from a what I would say is a horizontal application standpoint. Um, so really thinking about, okay, how do we bring broad-based donor management skills? What does it mean to bring, you know, case management tools as a whole into the sector and you know, really uh, being able to take advantage of, um, you know, the, the role of, of capitalism in, in such as it is to be able to, uh, you know, expand access to those tools. And so it's been Salesforce, it's been Microsoft, but it's also been you know, the social solutions of the world. It's been, the you know, the donor perfect still continue on, still chugging along. And all of those have done good things in terms of putting pressure on BlackBot to continue to innovate, continue to evolve their, uh, their technology stack and their platform. So it's been, it's been really exciting uh, to see that uh, and, uh, and a lot of fun to be uh, at least a little part of that as um, sort of the sector's uh, gotten uh, more and more robust is I think the best way I would put it. Yeah, I think that the, the kind of trend that I'm hearing you talk about, right, is like, I think at first there was like the digital transformation of fundraising and right. the ability to manage and communicate with donors more effectively. That's then kind of imported into the case management world. Um, and then there's, I think, still the, the last remaining space for many organizations is that digital transformation of their programmatic work or the mission side of their organizations. What, what, as you look ahead, what are some of the trends that you're seeing that you're excited about at the Balmer Group um, around how data and technology is increasingly being used, especially on the like, more programmatic um, service delivery end of organizations' work? Yeah, lots of lots of really exciting things happening. You know, I, I reflect back on our on our time at Salesforce when I was there, and we spent a lot of time thinking long and hard about, you know there is a there's a virtuous cycle of this dollar that flows through an organization that goes from you know donation or or investment into the organization that goes to mission service mission delivery that goes to then the M&E or the impact measurement piece of that and goes to be able to bring those dollars sort of back into that organization and in the best you know kind of operated organizations there is a, a recognition that um, that the work that has to happen on the ground from a uh, from a, a mission delivery standpoint, um, can be uh, enhanced or improved by sort of the adoption of technology and the connectivity between those systems, right? Um, and so the the sort of the rise of the what I would call kind of the the fully integrated social impact organization, and that's really coupling the technology adoption with an overarching um, theory of change and, a, and an operating model that incorporates those tools into what they're doing on a, on a regular and daily basis. Um, you know, when we as funders can enable that in ways that are not disruptive to what the organizations are trying to do, you know, each and every day out there in their communities, uh, you know, that's really when you get really powerful uh, transformational effects of technology in the, in the social impact sector. Yeah, I think that what I hear you talking about is the idea of let's not just append technology to the work that we're doing. Let's rethink how we're actually delivering services and creating the change that we're trying to by leveraging technology, really at the, the heart of, of our organizations. 
Yeah, I think I think that's exactly right. And and there's a there's such a, a a delicate balance that we have to maintain, right? Technology is a is a is disruptive, right? By design, disruptive by its by its very nature. And you know, when you're a, a, a construction company, when you're a, you know what whatever you're doing, sort of out in on the world, right? I'm doing good work out out, out in your space. Um, you know, that disruption is part and parcel of sort of the the way that our system is designed as a society, right? And, and a good thing, right? Um, the problem that I think really arises in the in the social impact sector is disruption means disruptions of critical services, means disruption of, of value delivered from not-for-profit organizations to the communities that they're trying to serve. And so I think what, what's been really fascinating to watch is and, and participate in uh, as a funder has really been thinking about how do we enable these types of digital transformations? How do we enable these types of adoptions of not just high quality tools, but high quality systems that go along with that, um, but do so in a way that is not uh, is minimally disruptive to the ability of organizations to deliver what they need to deliver from a, a services and a good standpoint, uh, not just over the long term, but tomorrow, right? And, and ensuring that we're not that we're not impacting that in a, in a negative way. And it's uh, it's been a real uh, I think evolution for uh, for the sector as a whole, and and uh, certainly one that I'm getting to you know kind of jump on that moving train as it as it has gone forward over the last couple of years. One of the questions I often wrestle with is is how do we incentivize that kind of innovation? How do we incentivize entrepreneurs? to come into this space and like build the products and services that, you know, organizations can be, can be using um, to do this mission work. How do we support nonprofits that are um, trying to innovate their, their business models and their programmatic models to better uh, engage with technology? Because one of the things that I've seen, and I'd be curious your perspective on this is, you know, we, we, we're decent at pilots, right? Like we're decent at like being like demonstration projects. We're not so good at like, oh, this demonstration project went really well. Like let's scale that to, to um, be effective, right? So talk through some of those challenges and, and what you're seeing in that space. Cause that, that's, it seems to be a, a stumbling block that we keep running into, I think as a sector when it comes to technology innovation. Uh, I, that is just such a such a wonderful question because it's really what I've been spending, you know, in particular over the last uh, couple of quarters, really been spending a lot of my time thinking about. It. And really, the frame I've been utilizing is one of of innovation and diffusion. And it's interesting because the problem that the social impact sector has is actually quite the opposite of what our for profit peers have, right? Which is the innovation is sometimes very difficult because it's disruptive to capital, because it's disruptive to uh, to the enterprise of making money right out and out in the world. But once an innovative disruption happens, the diffusion the diffusion of that is rapid throughout the throughout the sector, right? Everybody went from hand tabulating accounts to spreadsheets over the course of about seven years, right, in the early 80s. And all of a sudden, everybody was just using spreadsheets, right, in, in the world of finance, right? And it, and it just happens overnight. And in the, in the not-for-profit sector, in the social impact sector, it's exactly the opposite. We have, uh, because there's such a desire within our communities, within the sector as a whole, to be and constantly thinking about how do we build impact? How do we improve what we are doing to do more of whatever that, that objective of our organization is? Innovation actually happens, right? It, it happens in these little flares and, and in this very decentralized way. Increasingly, you're seeing innovative things happening 
in the software universe as well, where you've got organizations coming in and saying, how do we how do we think about the social impact sector as a as a horizontal market, as a as an addressable market for us with horizontal tools that we can expand across all of that, right? Um, what where it it falls down for us in this sector is that when that innovation pops, um, the diffusion of that is much slower than what you see in the for-profit universe, and the, the pressures are very different. Uh, the 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 um, you know the competitive piece is not always there, right? Uh, so if there's a, you know, if there's an organization or an entity, the next town over, uh, it's unlikely, right? If you're a, a, a food bank in Cincinnati, right? Uh, it's very unlikely there's going to be a competitive food bank that comes in and delivers services more quickly. That's going to force you to, right? But those are very much the functions that we rely on in sort of a capitalist system to be able to diffuse technology. Um, so, so what do we do about that, right? How do we solve for that? And I, I don't have the answer to that today. It's something that we're thinking a lot about. Um, how do we set up the right types of incentives for organizations to adopt high quality tools? How do we set up the right types of incentives for organizations who are doing innovative things to be able to lift those up to the sector more broadly? Like how do we create gravity in the sector and the places that we need to be able to do that? Um, there's a lot of really smart people out there thinking about that. And, and I certainly, um, uh, you know, uh, wouldn't suggest that uh, that we uh, are going to come up with the answer tomorrow, uh, but I think we got to really start trying some things out uh, as a sector as a whole and just sort of uh, pressure testing some ideas. Uh, you know whether that is um, you know creating funding pools uh, that allow organizations to tap into for certain types of digital innovation or certain types of digital projects. Uh, whether that is you know even thinking more outside of the box and you know things like IP and asset banks and you know, how do we enable sort of open tooling in a more comprehensive way? Um, I'm not sure there's going to be one silver bullet that solves for us, uh, solves for, us for that. Uh, but as a, as a sector as a whole, um, it's the, you know, it's the next great challenge for us uh, to try and match that, that, that diffusion rate that we have in the for-profit sector. That's such an interesting uh, perspective. I like that, like on the innovation and diffusion. And, and we do have such different pressures as a social sector um, to that I, that I think like don't apply the same kind of adoption pressure as, as sometimes the private markets do that's either like adopt or die. We don't right. have that same kind of uh, necessarily like a driver. And um, for, for those folks that are, are considering maybe or are in the early stages of being a social entrepreneur and developing technology, what would your advice be um, to navigate the sector and to um, you know, to attract funding for their work and to attract the users and things like that. What, what advice would you give to those budding entrepreneurs? Yeah, I think there's a there's a couple of things. I mean, one, first of all, I think there's a, a you know, an increasing recognition that, you know, to be able to sustain that type of innovation, to be able to sustain that type of investment, um, you, you need a sustainable model around that. And I think the, you know, sort of the, the, the world of being able to do, um, you know, 100% purely grant funded technology development um, is, uh, I don't want to say it's falling by the wayside, it certainly isn't, um, but it is, uh, it's more and more difficult to draw capital to that, let's put it that way, right, and if, and if we assume that capital is kind of the necessary uh, fuel for that, for that innovation engine, I think that's, um, that's, you know, challenge number one. All right. Challenge number two, I think, is just kind of classic software development, which is you have to go out and you have to listen to customers. And I think that the number of 
well-intended entrepreneurs that step into the social impact space look around them and say, aha, I know how to solve for this and <laughs> lay out a solution that is, again, is coming from the best of places, right? It's, it's genuinely trying to accomplish some good, but it's just so incredibly misses the mark on what the day-to-day -day needs of the organizations that are in the social impact space are, are actually uh, yearning for. Um, it's just, uh, uh, it's an unfortunate mismatch that I think happens uh, far too regularly still in the, in the sector as a whole. And then, you know, and then finally, I would just say like, um, you know, take advantage of, of uh, your, uh, your forefathers, so to speak, right? Uh, th there's a lot of great thinking out there. Uh, there's a lot of great ideas. There's a lot of these pockets of innovation. Um, you know, uh, maybe you need to reinvent the wheel, uh, but I suspect there's probably a good wheel that's out there and we just have to figure out how to find and scale it. I think that's, that's such great, great advice. I think around this, like find what's working, help scale it. Um, but, but especially around the idea of, of, so often I have seen technologists come in to the social sector, very well intentioned um, and saying like, oh, there's a better way of doing this. <laughs> right. um, and, and, and I think we need to have real empathy. And this is one of the things I talk about a lot with those entrepreneurs is like, you have to understand the way, there's a good reason why things are the way they are. It might kind of also be a dumb reason why things are the way they are, <laughs> but like there's, there's like the responding to the incentive structures presented to them. And this is, is what's working. And unless you can really understand what those pressures are, what those resources are, what those constraints are, it's going to be really hard to innovate. And so I think it's, it's, I think it's such uh, important advice for folks coming into the space to recognize you need to, to understand why things are the way they are before you can really do the work of innovating and, and changing them. Yeah, I, I think that's, I think that's exactly right. And, and, you know, the, um, you know, I, I think that the some of the most brilliant people I've ever encountered are doing some of the funniest work inside of the social impact sector from an outside perspective. And yet, if you spend more than just a few minutes engaged uh, and really understand what those day to day pressures are, really understand what it is that those individuals are trying to navigate, uh, you understand why it is that that brilliance really does kind of an opportunity to shine through because uh, what most organizations are needing to juggle uh, and, and the awareness of those well-intended uh, innovation entrepreneurs of those struggles and needs is just um, is critical to the matchmaking of getting the right tool, the right solution, the right innovation for, uh, you know, for that, for the sector as a whole and for helping them do whatever it is they're trying to do, more fundraising, you know, better systems operations, whatever that looks like. Kevin, thank you so much for the time. I, I always love getting to chat. Uh, and thanks for, for having this conversation. Hey, absolutely. My pleasure. And uh, look forward to continuing the conversation both, uh, both here and throughout the sector as a whole. It's, a, it's an awesome time to be engaged. A huge thank you to Kevin Bromer for joining me for today's episode and for all of you for tuning in and listening. Uh, be sure to click subscribe and listen to us every week. Next week, I'm going to be sitting down with Mari Qureshi, the founder of Global Giving. So be sure to tune in.